Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I want to let you know that you are perfectly qualified to be used by Jesus to turn the world upside down. There is nothing that disqualifies you from being used by him. Nothing. I don't care what your past is. Because he can fix the past. He can renew that. He can redeem that. He does that better than anybody else. So you can't be disqualified in that sense. So don't disqualify yourself. One of the most amazing things about the disciples is that they weren't perfect. They didn't have degrees or their lives put together. They were what most would call, well, average. In today's message, Pastor James will encourage you with this. Just like the disciples, you don't have to be perfectly put together for the Lord to use you. In fact, you're perfectly qualified to be used by Jesus to change the world. No matter what your past looks like, Jesus can redeem and renew you for greater purposes. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We started the book of Acts uh, at the beginning of this month, and we're still working through chapter 1, so you'll find the place today is in Acts chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 9. So for the sake of context and all that good stuff, the book of Acts is basically, it's a continuation of the gospel of Luke. It's part 2 of the gospel of Luke, okay? Same writer, Luke, was the one who penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Luke, and also the book of Acts. And he wrote both of those to uh, an individual that he was acquainted with. His name is Theophilus, okay? So Theophilus was wondering, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about this man who's done something that nobody else in world history has ever done, going to the cross, dying for our sins, and raising from the grave, coming back to life. And so Luke did that through the gospels, the incarnation, and all that good stuff. So the next logical question from Theophilus would be, well, what happens next? And that's what the book of Acts is. It's what happens next. And so this is where the church is formed, where it blossoms. It comes into existence. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll get there next week. But where we're at today is basically Jesus has met with his disciples. And he says, listen, you need to go back to Jerusalem. You're going to hang out there uh, until the promise of the Father is delivered when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We talked about that last week, this thing with the Holy Spirit. He's with us initially, that nudging that you have, you know, that whispering in your ear when somebody's up and and they're sharing the gospel with you or they're talking about Jesus and they're saying, yeah, that's for you. That's for you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, giving you that elbow in your ribs of like, he's talking to you. He's talking about you. And then you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And then there's the third part of that, the, you know, that we talk about here. It's the empowering when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, okay? The disciples had the Holy Spirit with them at this point in time. They had the Holy Spirit in them, and now they're just waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. What the church desperately needed in its origins, and the same is true today, is the Holy Spirit to empower the church to be an effective witness. 
That's what the church needs. So that's where we pick up. The disciples are going back to Jerusalem, and they're going to hang out there until this promise is fulfilled. And I can tell you this, all God's promises come true. They happen, all right? So verse 9, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's Jesus. So he's like, he's gone. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So these two men, are they angels? Are they Moses and Elijah? That's really the debate. It's like, who are these guys? I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know. So um, I'm sorry. I can't answer that question for you. Okay? So I can tell you this. It probably doesn't matter that much, right? It probably just doesn't matter much. Here's the point. The disciples are, they just saw Jesus ascend up into heaven. And so they're there, they're focused, and you're not moving. You're not going anywhere. He's going to come back. So now it's time to get to work, okay? He said, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. Now we got to get to Jerusalem. And these two guys show up, and they're like, hey, didn't he tell you to do something? Didn't he tell you to do something? Okay, you should probably go do it. Go do it. Go to Jerusalem. So... With that, verse 12, this is really where we will spend our time is 12 through 26. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, that's just right outside the city there, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey, technically close to half a mile, half a mile, that's a Sabbath day journey, okay? It's just a short walk. It's a hill, it's overlooking there, Jesus, you know, ascended from, you know, from that point, he's also going to be coming back down onto that mountain, and then that thing's going to split, and it's going to be crazy, cool, um, but we're not there yet. So they're at the Mount Olivet, and they're going to go back into Jerusalem. Verse 13, when they had entered back into the city, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Now here's the list. Here's who we have. You have Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, who is probably the guy saying, can I change my name? Um, Because you guys just call me Jude, okay? And that's technically, that is his other name, because he's like, yeah, I don't want to be associated with the other Judas, right? So you got your 11 guys plus some other individuals as well, okay? But as far as the disciples... You have 11 of them. And we'll, you know, Judas, we understand what happened to Judas, but they'll get into that in a second. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So let's just look at this. This is a ragtag bunch of people, okay? This is a wild bunch that are meeting together. This is, there's somewhere around 120 individuals that are gathered together in this upper room, and they are the least qualified to turn the world upside down. The Lord is just looking for, well, number one, he's looking for, well, who's available? And it doesn't matter your intelligence level or your degrees. None of that matters to the Lord. What matters is obedience and availability and surrender. What you have here with these guys is, well, they would be picked last on any religious team. You're not picking any of these guys first. None of them. None of them. The one that you would pick first just killed himself. His name was Judas. The rest of these guys, in the religious world, you're not picking any of these guys to be on your team. 
You're just not going to. Let me read you this. Um, I think I've shared this with you guys before, but Tim Hansel, he wrote this uh, resume of the apostles. You'll appreciate this, okay? This is like a hypothetical kind of thing. So it says, to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop, okay? And he gives a whole address and all this stuff. From Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant, okay? The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. Uh, An auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes with any additional fee. So this is kind of a silly thing, but... You'll understand this in a second. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in the managerial ability and proven capability. So he's basically saying, he's like, none of your guys qualify. And he goes on and he's going to give this list. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper, and we know that. You read through the Gospels, you know that about him. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both register a high score in the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well. He has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you success in your new venture. So it's just a a silly little illustration, but it really communicates the fact that the ones who he have that are meeting in one accord in the upper room are not the ones that the world would pick. They're not the ones the world would pick. But they're perfectly qualified to be used by Jesus to turn the world upside down. And I want to, before we move on from this, I want to let you know that you are perfectly qualified to be used by Jesus to turn the world upside down. There is nothing that disqualifies you from being used by him. Nothing. I don't care what your past is. Because he can fix the past. He can renew that. He can redeem that. He does that better than anybody else. So... You can't be disqualified in that sense, so don't disqualify yourself. What he's looking for are individuals who are available, who are obedient, and who are humble and just saying, listen, Lord, I don't know what you can do with me, but here I am. Here I am. Use me. That's what he's looking for. That's exactly who he's going for. These guys are crazy. If he, even if you just do like a little background on each individual, he's a passionate man, but he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman. 
And the Peter we're going to be talking about, especially he's going to start stepping up in this chapter. And then especially the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts are all like how God has transformed this man, this fisherman who's not supposed to be, he's not that well-educated. He's not supposed to know all this stuff, but he's a man of the word and he's a man of faith and he's a man who's empowered by the Holy Spirit and God uses him tremendously. A few other ones on this list, and you saw that with Matthew. Matthew's a sellout. He's a sellout. He's a traitor. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans. He went against his own brothers. When you became a tax collector for the Romans who were occupying Jerusalem at that point in time, they were the enemy. When you go over to their side, your family disowns you. They absolutely disown you. And there's another guy on the team. His name is Simon the Zealot. What he would do with his boys, because they're nationalists, they would look for the tax collectors and they would murder these guys. And Jesus is like, Matthew, Simon, I want you guys to meet each other. You're going to be rooming together for the next three years. You're in Bible college together. And Matthew's like, can I please change? Um, like, this guy's got this crazy look in his eye. But Jesus can take somebody from over here and somebody from over here who in the world would be enemies and can bring them together in what? One accord. Unity. That's the beauty of the church. That really should be the goal of every single church, whether it's Calvary Galveston, whether it's our friends at Coastal, Church of the Living God right down the road, just all over this city, all over this nation. The goal of the church is that despite our differences and despite cultural and all that stuff, we should be able to come together in one accord because of Jesus and just gather together and praise him and glorify him. But there is an element to this one accord that I think sometimes we miss out on. We want the unity. However, we just want it to be an automatic thing. Like if we just show up on Sunday, then we're together. We're one accord. Well, that's not always true. The thing that brought these guys, now it was Jesus. Jesus is the center point in the sense of all these guys coming together. But for them to remain in one accord, it tells us right there. They were together. They were in the upper room, one accord, praying, praying together. That's a difference maker. It's praying together. Fellowshipping together, beautiful. It's great. It's awesome. You got to be praying together as well. And we want to be together. We want to be of one accord. So that's what these guys are doing. They're in the upper room, this ragtag bunch of guys who are just, nobody's going to pick these guys. But Jesus is like, yeah, I'll take you. And so they're in one accord in prayer and supplication. So not just communicating between them and the Lord, but then also making these supplications for probably for each other and part of like this promise and what the Lord has in store for them. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. And, and this is the other part that I love as well. It's like, there's, listen, you've got a diverse group of individuals that Jesus had handpicked that he selected, whether it be fishermen or tax collectors or religious zealots or all that stuff. But there's also women that were part of that group. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. Jesus defies all the stuff. Culturally, at this point in time, it's like, unfortunately, it was like men were valued here. Women were down here. And especially in this region, Jewish men, Jewish women, and then if you're not Jewish, you're at the bottom. And Jesus just blew the doors off of that thing. It's like, listen, I don't care. Men, women, hey, let's do this thing. Let's get together. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is there's neither Jew nor Gentile. 
man, woman, I mean, it's just, let's just come together as his sons and daughters and be united through prayer, focused on Jesus in his word, and just available to be used by God. Because he wants to use us. He wants to use us. His mom's there. That's cool. She is a blessed lady, for sure. She's not going to save anybody's soul. She's just not. But she is a blessed lady. Absolutely. Mary was a blessed woman. She was used as a vessel to bring Jesus into this world. That's incredible. That's incredible. But they aren't gathered around. They're not praying to her. It's not even about her. She's just, she's part of the group. She's part of the group. It's a beautiful thing. Mom's still there. Here's the miracle of this whole thing. Yeah, you got all these strange guys, and you got men, and you got women, but his brothers, now you'll know this if you go through the Gospels, his brothers were skeptical of him. If you read back through the Gospels, you'll see that there were many instances in his life where Jesus' own brothers were like, he's crazy. He's crazy. And then he died on a cross, which they witnessed, and then he rose again three days later, which they witnessed. And they all surrendered to him, not as a brother, but as their Lord and Savior. And he transformed these guys. And now they're part of the team. It's amazing. That's a miracle. That's incredible. These guys grew up with Jesus in-house, like grew up with him. He's the older brother, a half-brother. He's the older brother. And the whole life that, you know, they, they probably dealt with that thing. Maybe, you know, who knows? What's it like growing up in the household with Jesus as your brother, right? Like, I mean, you're like, I can't do anything right. And you're like, that's right. Yeah, you can't. You're a sinner. He's not. Yeah, it's like, you're like, man, that would be, that's a big shadow to grow up in. So you can have a little compassion for them going through the Gospels where they may be like, he's just crazy. He's crazy. But then they see what he did and that he actually proved all the claims that he made through his death and resurrection. And now they're on the team. But they're missing one. Verse 15. They're down a man. Because they know from the Gospels that it was established that there would be 12. There's going to be 12. And so while they're waiting for the promise, they're like, well, we're down a man. Um, and so their estimation, then that's, you know, they got to fill a seat. And so they're going to figure this thing out. Verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, this is fisherman Peter, who just went through Bible college with Jesus. Now, he's a man of the word. He knows the Bible. He knows the Bible. He's like, remember back in the Psalms? He's like, remember, it said this, and we're here now, this prophecy, this is being fulfilled right now. This scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David. And I appreciate that as he's recognizing, like, it wasn't King David writing these things. It was the Holy Spirit through King David, through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And we're like, thanks for that nice little picture there. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called, in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. So Peter's like, hey, you guys remember in the Psalms? This is all talked about. We just saw this come to pass. 
Um, and, and it's Peter, what's amazing about this, he doesn't need to usher or he doesn't need to present any new prophetic words or anything. like. He's like, no, let's just go back to what the Old Testament says. It said this was going to happen. And we're here today because of that. So the word is being fulfilled. And we know Judas. They know this at this point in time, the story, how Judas was the one who betrayed him for a handful of silver coins. And we also know from that story that Judas, because of the guilt that he had felt concerning that, knowing that he betrayed an innocent man, went back and threw that money into the temple. Well, the religious leaders took that money because they don't want blood money. Because, I mean, come on, the moral people. How could they accept blood money, right? Although you just paid Judas that money. And so they went and bought this field. This field was pretty worthless in that sense because where it's positioned and where it's located in Jerusalem, all the potters, any busted vessels that they had that would harden too fast and they couldn't shape or form them anymore, they would just throw them out into this field. Well, you can't do anything with that field. It's filled with broken vessels. So what do you do with that? Well, you turn it into a cemetery, and you start burying bodies. So you got broken vessels and dead bodies in this field that has been purchased by the very money that was used to send Jesus to the cross. Now, there is a little story of like redemption even within this field. There could be a little picture there of like broken vessels, dead things, God redeeming that stuff. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. But this is the story, this is how it worked out for Judas. So he went, and with that, he hung himself. And now there's two different thoughts of, as to what happened to him. And did the branch which he hung himself, did it snap? And, and then he fell into this field and burst open. There's a good chance that that happened. I won't explain the other option, but it's just gross. Um, but it's still bursting open. The point of it is, is that here you have Judas, who was the most qualified individual in one sense. Jesus ended up not being who he thought he was going to be. So there's a danger here. There's a warning here for each and every one of us. He spent three to three and a half years with Jesus. He witnessed all the miracles. He was there the night where they had their last supper, and Jesus himself got down and washed his feet. He was placed at the seat of prominence for the Last Supper, sitting right there next to Jesus. That is the place of prominence. Jesus, to his enemy, who he knew Judas was going to betray him, said, listen, I'm going to wash your feet, and I'm going to give you the best seat in the house. I'll give you the best seat in the house. But Jesus never ended up being what Judas thought he should be. What he thought Jesus should be is the revolutionary who goes and overthrows Rome and kicks these bad guys, these Gentiles, these dogs out of our country and establishes that kingdom of God here right now, and I want to be his right-hand man. And Jesus said, I didn't come to do that. Not this trip. I'll do it the next trip, but not this one. This one, I came to die. And Judas could not handle it. He couldn't handle it. Expectations shattered. Hopes, dreams of being like Jesus' right-hand man in this new kingdom and all that stuff, gone, gone. And the enemy, Satan, certainly used that, certainly used that, and he had a willing vessel with Judas as somebody who, to betray Jesus. He was willing to do it. Please never mistake that. It wasn't as if he didn't have a choice. He had a choice, and he was willing to. 
And unfortunately, he never knew Jesus. He never really knew Jesus. That's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again or listen to more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. At Calvary Galveston, we strive to love and live as Jesus did. We're just ordinary people discovering extraordinary truths from the Bible together. As we continue to journey through the book of Acts, our prayer is that your faith is inspired to move, that when you read about the early church, you rediscover the purpose that God has for your life. You might think you're just ordinary, but God sees you deeper and He knows that you're more than that. Being obedient to the calling that God has on your life might not always make sense, but God blesses those who are faithful to answer His call. And you never know what incredible things God has in store when you freely say, Yes, Lord. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to start the week out right with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. Find out more and plan your visit by going to our website, breadforthebroken.com. As you go throughout the rest of your day, may you find hope and new life in Jesus.